Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Tuesday edition of PFTPM. Shereen Williams, Mike Florio, week one officially in the books. Week two officially 51 hours or so away, if my math is correct, and it rarely is. Good afternoon, Shereen. Don't ask me to, to verify the math. That's not my strength. <laughs> well, I don't know if it changes at all if you factor in central time zone. Either way, Thursday night, Washington and the New York Giants begin week two. This is the routine and the rhythm that I enjoy. The anticipation of the regular season brings about just a general, for me, hesitation and trepidation that routines are going to change. Multiple routines are going to change. The days of the week become very different. But once we settle into it, every Monday, we know how it's going to be. Every Tuesday, we know how it's going to be. And so on, around and around we go until we get through the regular season. And it's a fun ride. Every Tuesday, we will have MDS with us, as we did every Tuesday last year, for the weekly awards. That's coming up later in the program. We're going to answer some of your questions, and we're just going to otherwise talk about the week that was in the National Football League. And, Shireen, Aaron Rodgers did a little talking today on Pat McAfee's show. He is a regular Tuesday guest there. He did it last year. He apparently is going to do it again this year. Here he is on the lessons to be learned from the stunning blowout loss that the Packers endured in Jacksonville against the Saints on Sunday. No, I mean, I think it's it might be a freakout outside of the facility. Uh, I think it's just a, you know, it's a good learning lesson for us. You know, we can't we can't play like that. We can't start a game like that. I feel like I said after the game, our energy level was a little bit low before the game. Um, you know, we got to do a better job responding to adversity. So, look, there's not much to say. We got our asses beat, you know, by 35 points. Uh we're all frustrated about it, but you just move on. We got 16 more to go. You know, we can't dwell on this one and let it impact this next week. We got MC North opponent. We got a Monday night football game. Um, any any great competitor, you know, is never okay with losing. But I think the response has to be, uh, you know, the thing you, you set your mind to. Or you know, this is Tuesday already. You know, Monday, yesterday, you know, you watch the film, you flush it, and, and Tuesday you start moving on to the next opponent. This has been a common theme for the Matt LaFleur Packers. They are 26-7 and now, Shireen, in the regular season. They've been to two straight NFC Championship games. However, 2019, they go to L.A. They lose 26-11 to to the Chargers. There's talk of not being rested, not being prepared, not having energy. They go to San Francisco later in the season. They lose 37-8. to There wasn't the similar talk then, but it's the same idea, the trip far from home out west. Then in the postseason, 37-20 to they lose. Darius Smith tells us at the Super Bowl the team wasn't ready to play. He wasn't ready to play. Last year, they go to Tampa Bay, 38-10. to That's basically... Same distance, different direction from Wisconsin as California. This year, now 38-3, to Aaron Rodgers talking of a lack of energy. Who's responsible? And I'm asking the question. I'm not trying to be a jerk here any more than I otherwise naturally am, Shereen, but you don't have to comment on that one way or the other. Who's to blame if there's no energy? Who's to blame if the team's flat? Who's responsible for getting a team ready to go? Because whoever is apparently is failing anytime they get on a plane and go more than a couple of hours away from home. And the obvious concern, Mike, is that it's week one and they've laid one of these eggs early in each of the last three seasons, even though they went 13 and three the last two seasons. They were 4 0 last year and then lost. They were 3 0 the year before and then lost. And they got it together. But you're right. You can't lay these eggs. And my concern, again, is that it's week one. You should be hyped up. You should be ready. You should be excited to play. You're not on the road. You're playing in a neutral site stadium with perhaps more Packers fans than you had. I put the blame on the head coach of this because I think he's in charge of getting the team ready and getting the team hyped up. So I would say Matt LaFleur is responsible for getting this team ready, getting having that energy level high, and he didn't do it. 
This is a common theme that we've heard from Aaron Rodgers in recent years, even before Matt LaFleur was the coach. This was one of the things that got Aaron Rodgers particularly upset with me and prompted him to call me out with the clip that I'm sure we'll see at some point before we go to break when he said, don't waste your time reading that crap, because I was looking at his statements along the lines of, we didn't have energy on the sideline. We don't have a healthy sense of accountability that if you don't do your job, you're going to lose your job. And I was interpreting that as a slap at the coach because who's responsible this is the team that had Vince Lombardi what the hell's going on out here it's grab 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 the coach is the one who's responsible for lighting the fire under the players and for some teams Shireen the quarterback will backfill if the head coach doesn't Tom Brady gets the energy level up for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and before that he did it with the New England Patriots it's never really been Aaron Rodgers way yeah, it's never been. Yeah, the the stuff that remember I used to get goosebumps from the chant. Remember the 2009 season? They did that chant, and Drew would never say what he was saying, and it was the great mystery of the season. What is he saying when they get in that that mosh pit before the game and they get everybody fired up? That's not Aaron Rodgers' way, and that's fine. That's fine. But if he's not going to do it, and the coach isn't going to do it, you're going to have these situations. Where you step on a rake when you least expect it, and you make an excellent point. It should never happen week one. That's the one week that you should be ready to go. Naturally, as a professional, the season is starting. We are fired up. I know how I feel when we get into our routine. We talked about the routine. I'm fired up week one. Let's go. Let's get this thing started. Not... Uh, okay, we're just going to fly down to Jacksonville and kick the crap out of the Saints. I guess that's what they thought they were going to do. It, it really is stunning to me. It's disturbing. And, of course, this is one of those things, and I've detected a trend in recent weeks. It's taken me 20 years to figure this out. Fans get upset when we say out loud the things that they privately worry about. And if I'm a Packers fan, I am worried about this team. And I'm worried that Aaron Rodgers... Spent time today trying to downplay what should be a five-alarm fire for the Green Bay Packers. Oh, I don't think there's any question, Mike. If you can't get up for week one, you might not get up for week two or three or four. And I think there's some lingering things with this team that you absolutely have to worry about. If you want any positives, you can go back and look at the Bucs who lost their season opener 34-23 to New Orleans in, in 2020. And they later lost to the Saints 38-3. And we know they got it together. But they had a new quarter. They had excuses, right? They had good explanations. And maybe not even excuses. Good explanations for why they lost that season opener. COVID, a new quarterback in a new system, all those things. The Packers don't have all of that. This is a veteran team with veteran players, a veteran quarterback, and they come out and they lay an egg. So to me, this is a huge concern. Not only should it be a huge concern for Packers fans, but for the team itself and within the building. And if he says there's a calmness there, I'm a little bit worried about that. There shouldn't be a calmness. There should be about, let's go. This is a must-win game this week. We didn't have the energy last week. Let's find it this week. This thing has all the ingredients of potentially becoming a redshirt year for everyone, a scholarship year for everyone. Aaron Rodgers, lame duck, it's kind of a weird vibe, and they're transitioning at some point to Jordan Love, and next year is when it really gets started. This is like pressing pause on the program. Now, there are guys there like Devontae Adams, who doesn't have a contract for anywhere next year, who would like to have an effective year. Other guys hoping to be part of the solution next year, not just part of the problem that may be arising this year. And I fully understand that we quite possibly are overreacting. But here's the reality. What else do we have to react to? We have 16 games that were played between Thursday, (laughs) Sunday, and Monday. This is it, folks. Until they play more games, this is it. And I'd be very nervous the next six days 
If I'm a Green Bay Packers fan about that home opener at Lambeau Field and Dan Campbell and the kneecap biters coming to town after they dug out of a 38-10 to hole and built some momentum and some faith and some belief in what he's been teaching, even though they lost that game, they're riding with a little energy. And they will have energy and they will be fired up and they will be frothing at the mouth when they come to Green Bay on Monday night. Because really, it's the only time all year long anybody's going to pay attention to the Detroit Lions. So the Packers better wake the hell up. They got two primetime games coming up. Monday night, Sunday night. Sunday night at San Francisco. If you can't get yourself excited for those two games and properly motivated for those two games and you came out and sleepwalked, sleepwalked, sleptwalked, I'm going to sound like Chris Sims now. I'm not sure what the right conjugation is. If you came out and went through the motions against the Saints, you better wake it up for Monday night and Sunday night, or it's going to be 1-2 and two or 0-3. Oh and, and if it's 0-3, oh it is time to pull the fire alarm. I started looking at that schedule a while ago, Mike. Holy mackerel, what a schedule that is. I don't see this team going 13-3, and three, getting home field advantage throughout, getting a chance to host the championship. Maybe that's the best thing. They haven't won the championship game at home. Maybe they can go do it on the road. Maybe they can pull things <laughs> together and have a great season and, get, and go win it on the road, but... I just don't see this team going 13-3 and with that schedule. And, in fact, there could be some more early losses when you start looking at it. There are a lot of teams that are playing better right now than the Green Bay Packers. So they have to find a way to get this together and win this week. And I hate to use code speak, but it's, it is a week-by-week proposition. You go win this week, and then you get ready for the next week and try to win that one. As you said, it's going to be a much harder game even uh, than, than this week's game is. So week-by-week and try to turn this thing around and turn it around quickly because this thing could snowball. Well, Shereen, I am not certain of many things, but there is one thing of which I am certain. They will not go 13-3 and this year because there are 17 games. Agreed. And I am trying oh, to remind yeah. myself Hello. of that every chance I can <laughs> yeah. get. And I, that's not a cheap shot. It's a reality. It sounds so weird to say 13-4 and four, yeah. or 14-3 and three, or 12-5. and five. And I don't know... And I don't know, maybe you've experienced this. Like, as we get through week one and we approach week two, and we're going to hear all the stories about the certain percentage of teams that go 0-2 that make it to the playoffs and those who don't. I don't know what 0-2 means when you got 15 games left. And I don't think anybody knows what 0-2 is Great going to mean. If you're, if, you're in the, if you're in the NFC North, I know what 0-1 means. It means nothing because they're all 0-1. <laughs> yeah. It's a 16-game season, and the only thing that matters is if you're trying to get yourself a wild card berth. It doesn't matter if you're trying to win the division because everybody lost in week one. So it's kind of a weird year to get a sense of at what point you really should be concerned but if your starting quarterback is coming out and saying you lacked energy week one you should be concerned i know you don't want to hear it packers fans you can plug your ears and say you're not listening but you need to listen you need to be concerned because your team should not be flat week one no no question mike and they need to get it going they need to find that energy however you find your energy whatever you do whoever it needs to be in the locker room whether it's Devonte adams or somebody else who can be a leader they've got to find that guy to, to provide that leadership because obviously it wasn't rogers or lafour in week one maybe rogers needs to drink the scotch before the game instead of after the game <laughs> good Kidding. idea all right uh the Saints have good reason to drink plenty of scotch with all the adversity that they've been through the past few weeks. The hurricane displaced them to Texas. Their home opener was played in Jacksonville. Now comes the news that today, and what happens for the vaccinated players and staff, they break them up into three groups for weekly testing. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Tuesday, eight positive tests for the New Orleans Saints. Six assistant coaches all on offense. One nutritionist and one player turned out to be receiver Michael Thomas, who is unable to play anyway because of his ankle surgery that he had way too late in the offseason. Here's the concern. If and when, not if, but when the rest of the team has their weekly COVID test tomorrow, what's going to happen? Because if you're vaccinated, they don't do the tracing close contact knock you out like they used to if you're unvaccinated yes but there's not an automatic you were a close contact with someone tested positive they're just going to wait and, and test these people now there may be some symptoms or something like that or circumstances maybe close contact would accelerate the testing but 
there's a crop of players and staff that will be tested anyway tomorrow. And this problem could get even more significant for the Saints as they prepare to go to Carolina for week two. And the way it works, if you're vaccinated, you have to have negative tests at least 24 hours apart. And we're talking about five days. We, we saw what happened with Zach Martin. He tested positive on a Saturday. He was not in a position where he had the two negative tests at least 24 hours apart by Thursday, five days. Now, maybe somebody will be able to pull it off, but it's nothing anyone can control despite the confidence that Mike McCarthy had last week that if anyone can do it, Zach Martin can't. No, no one can try to do it. Maybe it'll happen, but no one can try to do it. And we'll have to see tomorrow. And if you're a Saints fan, you want to hold your breath to see what the news is tomorrow morning as to the positives that flow from the Saints when they do that final round of weekly testing, Shireen. Well, and they have gone to enhance protocols, Mike, so they will be tested daily, as I read it, this week, every day this week, they're going to be tested, the entire team, to make sure this doesn't get out of hand, that a cluster turns into an outbreak. And they now have masks, and they now have virtual meetings, which I think they were already doing mostly anyway, since they're training outside of their own facility. But I'm not surprised by this simply because you look at where they've been. They practice at AT&T Stadium. They practiced at, they've been practicing at TCU. They play a game in Jacksonville. They've been on planes. They've been in hotels. They haven't been at home. This is not a surprise at me, to me at all that it is the Saints simply because they've been away from home so much and around other people. And we know what the numbers are in Texas, in Tarrant County, where they're training where I live. We had 2,400 cases uh, yesterday. So... Not a surprise at all that they've had this number of COVID, te- COVID positives. You just hope that they don't have many more, especially to players. I would have assumed that on the road that they would arrange it so basically everyone's on lockdown like they would have been in 2020 if away from home. You can control everyone. You can keep them in the hotel. There's no reason to go anywhere. And I doubt that Sean Payton is encouraging that the players and staff go out and mill about the community. Everybody knows you can still get it. So, uh, And great point by you that the enhanced protocols kick in. I hadn't thought of that. Regardless of the testing that was already going to happen on Wednesday, now with this cluster of positives, it's going to be testing, 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 masks, social distancing, all in the hopes of ensuring that they have enough players when Sunday rolls around. But one thing that became abundantly clear in the off season. They're going to do whatever they have to do to play these games. I don't know what the minimum number is. Somewhere between 11 and 40, I would say, (laughs) is the minimum number. There was a time where NFL rosters had 40. The Vikings of 1969, 40 for 60. That was their slogan because there were 40 guys on the entire team. Only 40. So I'd say somewhere between 11 and 40 is the bottom line. Drop dead. We can't play with fewer than that number, but you have 69 to start with, and so far only one player has tested positive. So they should be okay to play. The question is, will they be okay to play well? And the league doesn't care about that. that that's the, the disconnect that dawned on me when trying to understand why the league won't go to daily testing. The league doesn't feel compelled to ensure that it's a minimal incidents of guys testing positive the league just wants to make sure there's enough players available to play in the games if it's not the absolute best players who cares we still televise the game we still cash the check we still get the ticket money it's for the teams to be as vigilant as they can be shireen about having everyone available that can be available especially the best players well, and it's a good thing they have Taysom Hill, right? He could play multiple positions for them if they're down to 11 players, Mike. I'm just curious which position Jameis Winston's going to play on defense if they're down to 11. And I don't know that the league will – there's a safety concern that pops up. And I'm surprised yeah. last year that the Broncos had to go forward without any of their quarterbacks. And I remember speculation before the 2020 season that if you had a bunch of your offensive linemen knocked out, maybe they right. would – pull the plug on a game because they don't want to jeopardize a quarterback's health. I think at a certain point, what the league decided is, hey, we're giving you maximum roster flexibility. We're giving you these injured reserve rules that can be manipulated and massaged any way you want. Guys can come back after three weeks. You can stash guys there if you want to. you got 16 players on the practice squad, each of whom can be called up 
as late as 90 minutes before kickoff. You've got maximum flexibility. You get versatile players. You get guys that can play offensive line, defensive line. You get guys that can play receiver and corner. You get guys that can play quarterback and, and running back if need be. It's on you to build your team in a way that accounts for the possibility. Exactly. And if you have guys knocked out, it's on you to put the players on the field. And if they can't get it done, that's a you problem, not a league problem. Uh, so I think they will play. The question is, how deep will this go? How many players will end up being not be ava- uh, being available? We're just going to have to wait and see. The 49ers seem to always have players who aren't available for reasons other than COVID. The injuries have begun. They already lost cornerback Jason Verrett for the year with a torn ACL. Raheem Mostert announced today that he's out for the year. Season-ending surgery to repair my knee. It sounds to me... and. This is just based upon my experience covering the sport. I don't know anything about the medical side of it, but when you get a meniscus tear, you can either trim it and come back quickly or you can repair it and be gone for most of the year. Repairing it preserves the cartilage and helps you avoid future problems where you may end up in a bone-on-bone situation. If you trim it, it's just less cartilage you have for the rest of your life, and eventually you're going to have arthritis and problems like that. So I remember Adrian Peterson in 2016 had an early-season knee injury with a meniscus repair, and he was gone for most of the year. Sounds like that's what this is. If he's out for the season... uh, because of a repair in his knee that isn't a torn ACL. And I I watched his snaps against the Lions. It's still not obvious how he even hurt himself. So uh, it's a shame. It's unfortunate. It happens once they start playing the games. And the 49ers already down. They're starting running back for the full season, Shireen. And you know what the problem is for him, Mike? He's, he turns 30 in April. He becomes a free agent in March. His contract ends. He only played eight games last season. He had two carries this season. So, you know, you start looking at contract and thinking about the offseason and who's going to sign him. I'm not thinking he's going to get a very good deal. He's going to have to have a prove-it deal at 30 years old, and that's not a good thing for him. But the good thing for the 49ers, as we talked about yesterday, they are very deep at running back. I mean, Trey Sermon, their third-round pick, was inactive. He was a healthy scratch. Elijah Mitchell beat him out, a six-round pick, and really looked good, and now will probably be in that starting role. But they are just deep at running back fortunately for them they have a ton of replacements and you know what they have the best running back in the nfl and bobby turner who's done it with a lot of backs who aren't big names for a really long time yeah and carry on johnson added to the team's practice squad but that's what raheem moster potentially becomes next year a carry on johnson a Devonte freeman a Le'Veon bell a latavius murray a guy who is just looking and waiting for the next opportunity. It is a cruel position in the NFL. It will chew a guy up and spit a guy out faster than any other position. Ben Tate, I remember this playing his day, second rounder out of Auburn that played well for the Texans for a couple of years. He eventually said, if I had to do it all over again, I'd have been a defensive back. I'd have been a safety. I wanted the ball. I wanted to be a star. The problem is you get to the NFL level and that candle burns quickly. And uh, you see how fast that career ends up being snuffed out, or at least you're relegated to the position of guy looking for any scrap you can get. So you're right, Elijah Mitchell expected to step up into the starting role. We'll see what Trey Sermon can do. It was alarming that he was a healthy scratch on Sunday, but now they're going to need him. And the Kyle Shanahan rushing attack, we mentioned this yesterday, it's like Mike Shanahan when they go from Terrell Davis to Orlando Scary to Mike Anderson to Clinton Portis. Every year, another guy, another guy. Whoever's healthy, plug him in. And the key is, because there are so many guys that come out of the college ranks that can move the chains at the NFL level. You have to block for them, you have to trust them not to fumble, and you have to trust them in blitz pickup. You get those three ingredients, there's a lot of guys that can do the job. It's one of the reasons why the position is devalued. The supply of potential running backs far outweighs the demand. Yeah, and Kyle Shanahan talked about that yesterday. You can find running backs all over the board, and they've done it with Elijah Mitchell, and they hope Trey Sermon can be that guy too. But they've picked up a couple running backs in the draft who are going to help them, and it was fortunate for them that they have these two young backs now with what happened uh, to Raheem Mostert. So they'll move on, and they, they won't miss a beat, I guarantee you, at that position. But they have to hope, Mike, that it's not the start of what they went through last season with one guy after another ending up on injured reserve. This is two now in week one. They hope it doesn't start a trend. It is amazing how quickly it happens. Once the games that count begin, there is that handful of guys, and it's every week the handful of guys that end up being injured 
many of whom for an extended period of time. All right, John Gruden. Good news last night. The Raiders beat the Ravens 33-27 to in a classic, epic overtime back-and-forth. Great way to open Allegiant Stadium with fans there. Of course, they played there all of last year. Gruden sharing some news today about multiple players who may be out an extended period of time. Here he is. Yeah, there is some concern. We've got some guys getting examined. Uh, Gerald McCoy. Uh, Denzel Good, Marcus Mariota, to name a few. Uh, we'll have to have to see the official evaluation here shortly. You mentioned uh, Marcus was was injured, but I assume that was on the one play that was in the game. And did that was there more planned for him? Yeah, no, oh, yeah, we have, uh, you know, we uh, lost a big part of our offense. Uh, hopefully, it's not going to linger on. You know, he missed the whole preseason with a quad strain. He strained it again last night. And, the severity of that injury um, kept him out of the game. That's too bad as a 31-yard gain to really give us an element we haven't really had around here. It was a great moment. Unexpected Marcus Mariota showing up and getting with one play more fantasy points than Aaron Rodgers generated for the entire <laughs> game on Sunday. But he was injured and he exited. And it makes you wonder how much they're going to use that that dynamic. We didn't see that coming. We knew Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo. We knew Justin Fields and Andy Dalton. We did not know that they would periodically pull Derek Carr out from under center to give Marcus Mariota a shot. But if he's injured, it's not going to happen. Denzel Good reportedly, and we've confirmed this as well, he's out for the year with a torn ACL. That's not good. Yannick Ngakwe, another guy that was later mentioned by John Gruden in the press conference today who has an injury that could keep him out. Not good. It was a physical rough-and-tumble game. That's one thing that really stood out to me last night. There was a lot of hitting. There was a lot of intensity. It almost felt like a postseason game. And now what happens is the Raiders have to pack it up on a short week and go to Pittsburgh, where they definitely will get themselves another physical rough-and-tumble game. Well, you know, the, the bad thing about Marcus Mariota, Mike, is depending on how long-term this is, I mean, we thought there was a possibility, especially if a team loses at quarterback, that the Raiders could trade him somewhere. That's not going to happen if, if this is long-term uh, because the trade lot deadline, as you pointed out yesterday, it comes quick uh, in a 17-game season. So that may take them out of that. And it did look really awkward the way he was put. It was almost a horse collar, the way he was pulled down. Uh, and it didn't look good, but they never reported an injury. So we never had anything on that until today, obviously, when John Gruden talked. So let's hope that, that these guys are okay and can get back other than Denzel Good, we know, is gone for the year with a, a knee injury. But you always hate this in week one, Mike, that guys go out. I, I mean – it's bad enough when it happens late in the season, but you want them to play more than one game. That is a good point about reporting the injury because there is an obligation, and teams have been fined in the past for not reporting or not reporting accurately a player's condition. And there wasn't, that I can recall, any tweet from the Raiders saying that Marcus mm. Mariota is questionable to return with a quad injury. That's the kind of thing that... Look, the NFL needs to care about it. There needs to be transparency. It does have an impact on the integrity of the game and the integrity of the gambling on the game. And I'll be interested to see whether or not there's any sort of, of hell to pay or fine to pay by the Raiders for failing to mention that Marcus Mariota was either out or questionable or whatever after that injury he suffered on that one snap that he had. Let's take a break. When we return, I mentioned that we tend to overreact after one week because we have nothing else to which we can react. We're going to do some week one overreactions, whether they're justified or not, when PFT PM continues right after this. You guys like Mike Florio. I mean, don't waste your time reading, uh, reading crap like that. Hey, John, uh, Darren Waller, 19 targets. Uh, can't, that can't be by design or something. You, What was your reaction to that? Well, we that... threw it 60 times probably. You right, know, okay. and if you threw it 60 times, you know, you'd probably target him 29 times. So we, I thought he mishandled a ball or two uncharacteristically. He had a penalty call back, a big catch and run. Uh, he's the best player I've ever coached, so I'm going to continue to look for him. And um, sorry about that, Vic, but uh, – you know, he's, he's, he's a hell of a player. He deserves some good looks. 
John Gruden, Raiders coach, giving some praise to Darren Waller. And he's got that great catch radius where you don't have to throw it right on target, which is good. Because a lot of times last night, Derek Carr wasn't really right on target. But you can throw it high, and he throws those arms up in the air, and he snatches the ball. There was that one moment, though, where Carr was doing this, like get two hands on it. When he's running this way and you throw it behind him, physically it's kind of difficult to get two arms on it. So Waller is a special, special player. And Derek Carr was really good last night. Look, I've been criticized justifiably for being too critical of Derek Carr in the past. Yes, I'm still salty that he blocked us on Twitter, and at least I admit it. I don't know that that makes it any better. We will admit when we overreact. Week one, are we overreacting or are we right on? And this is one that we already touched on, and I have some hesitation to bring up Aaron Rodgers again because I don't want that clip to be played again as we go to break. The Aaron Rodgers drama will haunt the Packers all season long. Is that an overreaction? Shireen, or is that right on the money? Well, if they didn't play in the division they play in, I would say yes. Who who would have put money, Mike, that the Packers right now after week one would be 32nd in total offense? They are. That's where they are. Aaron Rodgers already has two interceptions that he's thrown. He doesn't normally throw a lot of interceptions in a season. But... They're in a division where they are the best team in the division. They're going to win the division, but that's not the goal. That's This team is going to break up after this year. They want to win a Super Bowl. I don't see that happening. So I'm kind of halfway in on this. I think they win their division, but I don't think they accomplish their goal, which is to win the Super Bowl. I don't see them as one of the best teams in that conference, at least not right now. And they have to go a long way to get there to catch up to some of the teams who we saw in the NFC in week one. Two straight years in the NFC Championship, and the question is, can they punch through this year? And I agree with you. That team we saw on Monday or Sunday excuse me, is not getting back to the NFC Championship. Now, it's a long season, long way to go. They could still win the division. They could still get the one seat again. They could still get to the Super Bowl, but they've got some work to do. To not have energy, and this is the point you made, and it's an excellent point, to not have energy week one is a major concern whether it's the Aaron Rodgers uncertainty or whatever. And the Aaron Rodgers uncertainty is the most obvious thing to point to because it hovered over the team the entire offseason. He wasn't there for the offseason program. He didn't get together with his receivers. He was behind the Tom Brady's and other quarterbacks who spend time working and working and working with their receivers and getting comfortable with them throughout the course of the months from March until September. So I don't think it's an overreaction to say it will be an issue. The question is, can they react properly to it and eradicate it starting Monday night when the Lions come to town? All right, next one. Overreaction or right on? This is the year Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson wins the MVP award. Remember the narrative last year? He's never gotten a vote. Maybe he'll get all of them. He still got none of them last year. Is it an overreaction to say this is the year that he can punch through? After week one, yes, because I went and looked it up, Mike. He was the favorite for the entire year, and it changed November 17th. You wrote a post that said Russell Wilson is no longer the favorite for the MVP award, and from there it was all downhill. He had a stretch of four games with seven interceptions, including three in the red zone, and it was all done. So he's got to show more than he can just be really good in week one or week two or week three. He's got to do it at the end of the year, which he didn't do last season. Now, he's the third fastest quarterback, or will be if they win this week, to 100 wins. He's done a lot of great things. And Drew Brees did a lot of great things. And when you go back, Drew Brees never won the MVP award. Drew Brees was only all pro one time. So you could still be a really, really great quarterback and not win the MVP award and perhaps not even ever get a vote. But one thing I look at, Mike, you look at that division, and I know you're writing something on the MVP favorites. There's three guys you start out in that division talking about. There's only going to be one that's going to come out of there as a division champion, and that's going to be the, who, the guy who's in that conversation. And it's the guy who wins the division and has the one seed, the quarterback yes. from the one seed of each conference. Those are the two inherent yep. finalists for the MVP, and someone else has to bust that presumption that it's going to be one of those two quarterbacks, either with a great rushing performance, a great receiving performance, getting 85 sacks. Chandler Jones, by the way, on pace for 85 sacks. If he would get 85 sacks, pretty good chance he'll be the NFL MVP but but you're right 
between Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, and Matthew Stafford, only one of them is going to make it into that conversation as potential MVP by winning the division. I'd say that it's definitely too early to talk about it because we don't know that it's going to be sustainable. Last year it wasn't. It's about the offense. And I talked to Russell Wilson after the game on Sunday and hinted around at this notion that, you know, the offense can be great now, but after six, seven, eight weeks, is it still great? Is it ahead of the curve? Do defenses have the code cracked? Do you crack your own code and take it to the next level? The self-scouting is so critical. You can't allow yourself to become predictable. You can't allow yourself to develop tendencies and tells that make it easier for a defense when preparing to play you to come up with a way to take away what you're doing well. You have to stay ahead. You have to zig before they can zag. That's the key. So for Russell Wilson, Shane Waldron is going to be the key. Can they continue all year long what they did for roughly half of 2020? If they can... He'll be in the conversation, Shireen. Next up, overreaction or right on the money? Urban Meyer will be one and done in the NFL. Well, he's never gone one and done, Mike. Two years at Bowling Green, two years at Utah, and he moved up to bigger and better things. But I don't think he's long-term for this job. I'm going to give him at least two years. I think it's a little overreaction after one game to say he's not going to be there next year. But I don't know that this is going to be a long-term thing for Urban Meyer in Jacksonville. The USC decision to fire Clay Helton kicked up the dust yesterday on the possibility of Urban Meyer going to USC. And we can look at it from that Bobby Petrino perspective. Would Urban Meyer walk away from the NFL? We also have to consider the possibility that Shad Khan, the owner of the Jaguars, would make the decision that I made a mistake. You know, who else was courting Urban Meyer? At some point, the Chargers came up, I think, as leverage to get Urban Meyer, whatever it is that he wanted financially. And we never did find out what Urban Meyer is making. I remember I reported, because I was told by a reliable source, that he wanted something like $12 million a year. And NFL Network had some kind of clunky pushback. It's not accurate or relevant or something like that. Well, how's it not relevant? What the guy's making is relevant. It's just a weird effort to knock down what we had reported. But uh, I, I just I, I don't know what he'd be giving up to walk away. I don't know how much he'd get if he got fired. I don't know a lot about the dynamics of that relationship, but it bears watching. They are four games away from becoming the third team in league history to lose 20 in a row. And even though the first 15 aren't on Urban Meyer's resume, the last five, if that happens, will be, and any beyond that, and I don't see a victory until week 12, at which point they would be 0-26 since week one of the 2020 season. All right, last one real quickly. Overreaction or right on the money? The Cardinals are Super Bowl contenders. Right on the money. I think they have playmakers on both sides of the ball, which is what you need. When you look at a team like the Packers, even if Aaron Rodgers gets going, who do they have on defense? The Cardinals have Chandler Jones to make a difference. Isaiah Simmons was terrific. Cornerback's a challenge. But they look as good on defense or better on defense than they were on offense, Mike. Yeah. The key is staying healthy. Kyler Murray and Chandler Jones, those guys have to stay healthy. But last year, Kyler Murray, when he got the shoulder injury – that was aggravated that Thursday night against the Seahawks, that's when it fell off. They had their their best moment of the year, Sunday afternoon, the late afternoon game with the Hale-Murray throw. That was great. After that, it wasn't great because he was injured. He has to be able to be the running threat and passing threat. They keep their key guys healthy. They can be magical. And I watched that entire game today, the Cardinals and the Titans. Kyler Murray is my favorite player to watch in the NFL by far. Sorry, I love Patrick Mahomes, but I, I, it is so much fun watching Kyler Murray do what he does, and hopefully he'll stay healthy all year, and hopefully we'll get plenty of Cardinals games in primetime. Let's take a break. Primetime for week one, the awards segment. The uh, No trophies, no cash prizes, not even a sheet of paper, just the satisfaction of knowing that we care. We'll hand out those awards when PFTPM continues right after this. Week one in the books. The book opens on the week one awards. MDS joining Shereen Williams and myself. Let's get right to it. We've got offensive, defensive, rookie, 
and Coach of the Week. As always, we start with offensive, and as always, we start with MDS. Hello, MDS. Who do you have? Hello, I have Jalen Hurts, who he's playing for a new coach in a new offense. And let's remember, this was only the fifth start of his NFL career. I thought he looked like an old pro. He completed 77% of his passes, mostly short, easy passes, and that's what Nick Sirianni wants in that offense. Uh, He also ran for 62 yards. And my favorite part of the day, though, was hearing after the game the way his veteran teammates were talking about, this guy is our team leader. I thought that was great to hear. I thought Jalen Hurts did a lot of things I liked to see. And I think the Eagles have to be very pleased with how their offense looked in week one. MDS, if you look at Jameis Winston's yards, 148, it's not that impressive, but the only guy to throw five touchdowns. And to me, the bigger thing was that zero interceptions. We know the last time he played, 2019, as a full-time starter, 33 touchdowns, 30 interceptions. He didn't look like that guy. It looked like they had coached those turnovers out of him. And if he can do that every week with 148 yards and five touchdowns, the Saints are going to be Super Bowl champions. It's amazing to think that Jameis Winston could finally fulfill his potential with the Saints, but I think he can, and I thought it was awesome last week. Kyler Murray, we talked about him already. I don't have anything to add. Kyler Murray, Offensive Player of the Week. He accounted for five touchdowns, four with his arm, one with his legs, some great throws, and that one play that wasn't a touchdown, but it was an all-timer. The left, right, zigzag, up, back. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. And watching that game and hearing the reaction from the announcers that play unfolded, it was special. So Kyler Murray is my Offensive Player of the Week. Defensive Player of the Week time, MDS, who do you have? Well, Von Miller missed the entire 2020 season, but he bounced back in a big way in Week 1 with two sacks and three tackles for loss. He's lining up against another player who missed the entire 2020 season in Giants left tackle Nate Solder. And I really thought Miller embarrassed Solder. Uh, I, I think the, the Giants are a little concerned about what they saw, but the Broncos have to be very pleased. Miller's 32 years old. He's coming off an injury, but the Aggie great looked great on Sunday. <laughs> MDS, it was a lot the same way Arizona and Tennessee. I mean, we're talking Taylor Lewan, right? He's a great left tackle or has been a great left tackle. And Chandler Jones just absolutely abused him. Five sacks, six quarterback hits, six tackles, two forced fumbles. He was a menace. And so if you're looking for early defensive player of the year, he's the guy you have your eyes on right now. Same type deal with him. He didn't play many games last year. If he stays healthy this year, he's going to be in that Defensive Player of the Year conversation. On pace for 85 sacks this year, down from the 204 (laughs) when he had three in the first quarter of the game. So that's a precipitous drop. Uh, I I will go Chris Jones, the Chiefs' defensive end, moved from tackle to end. At some point, he's going to want to get a little contractual adjustment to reflect his value as an outside rusher. But he had a couple of sacks against the Cleveland Browns. And our old friend Greg Rosenthal, I saw him on NFL Network, the morning of week one, they were talking about defensive players of the year, potentially. And Chris Jones at a 70 to one shot for that. Cause you can bet on all of those full season awards. That would be a pretty good bet. That's great value. Cause I think Chris Jones can sustain it. The chiefs are going to be ahead in a lot of games. So there's going to be opportunities to pass rush and rack up more sacks. And, uh, but for Chandler Jones, Chris Jones would be the favorite right now, and maybe as the season unfolds, he will emerge as the guy to win that award. Rookie of the Week, MDS, who do you have? I have Panay Sewell of the Lions. You know, he was a left tackle in college. The Lions moved him to right tackle, and in the preseason, frankly, he looked terrible. But then in what turned out, I think, to be a lucky break, Taylor Decker, the Lions' left tackle, got hurt just last week. The Lions moved Sewell back to left tackle. He only had a couple of days of practice, and then he turned in a really solid performance on Sunday. Nick Bosa, who's one of the best pass rushers in the league, really raved after the game about how tough Sewell was to go against. I think the Lions need to keep Sewell at left tackle going forward, even after Decker returns, because I think they have the left tackle of the future they thought they had, The only mistake they made was trying him out at right tackle first. 
Speaking of guys who had a problem in training camp in the preseason, Jamar Chase couldn't hold on to the football. He had no problems doing that in week one. He was terrific. Five catches, 101 yards, and a touchdown, zero drops. He said all the talk of him having trouble catching the ball was trash talk. I don't know if he knows the definition of trash talk. But anyway, set the franchise record for receiving yards in a debut, breaking the mark of Jordan Shipley, who had 82 yards in his debut. Just a terrific performance, Mike, by Jamar Chase. As Jerry once said to Kramer, you can really talk some trash. And then he turned to George and said, which is better than eating it. Uh, there, there was no trash talk. It was all self-inflicted. And he's the one who took it upon himself to come up with these clunky excuses that did not play well nationally, that the ball is harder to see, which he said. He can deny it all he wants. But when it was time to play, he played, and he played well. For me, the Rookie of the Week, Mac Jones, even though they lost, he looks the part. He's going to be fine. If Damian Harris holds on to the football, the Patriots are 1-0 right now. Mac Jones showing us why they were willing to make him the starter and send Cam Newton packing. It will get better. It's just unfortunate that they lost at home to the Dolphins because they have to play the Dolphins on the road at some point. You get swept by the Dolphins, makes it very hard to win the division. But I still think that the Patriots will get to the playoffs this year. All right, last one. Coach of the week. MDS, who do you have? Well, you said Chris Jones was 70 to 1 to win de- Defensive Player of the Year. I don't know what David Culley was to win Coach of the Year. I think probably somewhere around 1,000 to 1. Uh, but he was thrown into a tough situation with this Texans team. Tough for a whole lot of reasons we don't have time to get into. But it, it may still turn out to be a bad season, but I thought he had his guys ready to play. I actually rewatched that game. And the, the thing I liked the best about the Texans was. They just came out focused, looking like, hey, we don't care what everyone else thinks about our team. We're here to play. And, and I'll just say this, David Culley outcoached Urban Meyer. Sean Payton had his team ready to play, unlike Matt LaFleur and the Green Bay Packers, and it showed. This is a team that hasn't been home since August 28th because of Hurricane Ida. It looks like they're getting closer to getting home. We'll play their next home game. we got two away games. They will play that at home, but now they have all the COVID issues, Mike. It seems like it's one thing after another, and Sean Payton and the Saints just handled that beautifully, and I have a feeling they're going to handle anything else thrown at them beautifully the rest of the way. I have been critical at times of John Gruden, who was 19-29 and 29 for, through his first three seasons back in the NFL. Really hasn't done all that much that would count as impressive since winning Super Bowl 37 with a team that Tony Dungy built, primarily a great defense that Dungy and Monty Kiffin stayed to coordinate. But last night was great. It was a masterpiece. It was beating an elite team coming into that stadium on a night where there was a lot of pressure on the Raiders to deliver for those fans. Great fan base there. Exciting game. Came back from down 14 to nothing. How many times have we seen the Raiders wilt when they fall behind? It was a great game. It was a fun game. I said it today. I tweeted it today. The NFL is far more interesting when the Raiders and the Cowboys are good. And there's a pretty good chance that both will be good in 2021. All right, we say goodbye to MDS. We don't say goodbye to you yet. MDS, thanks for your time as always. We'll be back to wrap up this Tuesday edition of PFTPM by cracking open the mailbag. We'll do that right after this. Hey, what's up? Hope you guys had a great weekend. Football is officially back, and it's great to be 1-0. Yeah. we got a big week ahead. The marathon's just getting started. we got a lot to improve on and excited for this week. Let's go. There's Tom Brady, Gronk, everything that happened last week. And what's that in the background? In his weekly W video, Tom Brady leaves a computer screen on in the back with the clock set on 328. Oh, goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no. That is awesome. And, uh, yes, the Falcons coming to town to take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Fortunately for the Falcons, most of the players and coaches who were there for 28-3 to are now long gone. All right, before we're long gone, at least until tomorrow morning, 
Mailbag time. Eight red zone out. Should Washington be calling the Texans about a trade for Deshaun Watson, Shireen? Well, I'll throw this at you, Mike. The NFL has not had to make a decision on Deshaun Watson because the Texans are paying him on the roster not to play. What are the chances if a team trades for him that the NFL would step in and say, no, you don't? Well, we don't know because what we do know is they're deliberately not making a decision now because they don't have to. If they would trade him to a team that would say, we're going to put him on the field, that's when they would make a decision. We don't know what the decision would be. There would be a risk. Also, from a PR standpoint, optic standpoint, degree of tone deafness standpoint, it would be a mistake for Washington with everything they've been through to bring in Deshaun Watson, given the allegations he's currently facing. I think for that reason alone, it would not happen. Tacos and Jen wants to know which 0-1 team still looks like the best bet to win their division, Shireen. There's so many choices, right? The Bills, the Packers, the Titans, the Cowboys. You can go with any of those. I'm going to go with the Packers. I think they're still the best team in that division. I do think they're going to turn it around. Don't think they'll have the best record in the NFC this year, though. The Bills have the Dolphins in Miami this week, so that would be a huge early season swing game. If the Bills lose, they're 0-2 and the Dolphins are 2-0. and I agree with you, though. The Packers are in the division that feels like it's going to be the none-of-the-above division this year in football, and the Packers, the best of maybe four not-so-good teams, they should be able to win that division. At Takumiak, is Kyle pissed that Jimmy G is playing well, not as many opportunities to get Trey Lance on the field beyond a little trickeration? What do you think? Uh, I think no. I think he wants to play Jimmy Garoppolo and use Trey Lance in that way. And we also don't know how much the hand injury affected Trey Lance. There may be a bigger package going forward if that, when that hand is fully healed. He wants Trey Lance to show that he can step up and take the job. Chris Sims believed that Kyle Shanahan was frustrated in the preseason when Jimmy G had the early interception. Lance came in and didn't play well. That was his chance to take the job, and he didn't. He's going to get a chance to take the job at some point, and maybe he will. Maybe he won't. At Vamos for Ramos, did you flip over to the Manning Brothers commentary during Monday Night Football? How do you think they did? Here, let me, let me take this one. Um, it's very difficult to watch the Manning cast if you have a group. We were watching outside on our patio with six people. They want to talk. They want to be the people in the bar you're hanging out with watching the game. We're not all going to stop and listen to the Mannings. It's great for one person, I think, but it's very difficult if you're watching in a group. We loved it, Mike. It was just me and my husband, Tom, and and we watched it and thought it was fantastic. I didn't like all the guests aside from Russell Wilson, but I did like the, the Manning brothers talking. I thought it was great. The ratings for that were surprisingly bad. I was stunned by it because social media loved it. The rest of the world didn't. That kind of happens from time to time. Don't believe social media. See you tomorrow.